we're going to talk through kind of the foundations of care coordination, really focusing on RN care coordinators in the specialty clinics. The objectives are that after viewing this or learning this content, that you will be able to describe the foundational concepts, professional and system standards for care coordination. So just for a little background, the United States spends more on healthcare per capita than any other comparable country. In 2017, the United States spent $3.3 trillion on healthcare. This is over half the amount of any other comparable country. So you would think that spending a lot on healthcare, we would have really great health outcomes, but actually we have some of the worst outcomes compared to those same countries. So other countries are spending significantly less and their patients are doing much better. The US rates highest in terms of worst health outcomes as they relate to mortality, death, burden of disease, hospital admissions, and medical errors. So the federal government implemented our national health program, which is Medicare and Medicaid, as part of the Social Security Act in 1935. Our tax dollars go to support these two federal programs. Medicaid is the single largest health program in our country. It provides insurance for low income and disabled individuals. Medicare is available for patients age 65 and older and or those who have long-term disabilities. These programs are both funded through payroll taxes, mostly by employees and employers. So oftentimes Medicare Medicaid is referred to as CMS uh, because it stands for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Here at mHealth Fairview, this grid kind of shows that most of our patients that come in actually have Medicare or Medicaid insured or are uninsured. With that, trying to be conscious of the money that we're spending as a nation on health care, knowing that it's our tax dollars and we really want to make sure we're using those funds wisely. The Affordable Care Act was implemented in 2010 to help reduce health costs and make sure patients are having good outcomes. So historically, patients used to come into the clinic or hospital and we would get reimbursed from a payer, an insurance group, just because simply the patient was here and we took care of them. Now payers are saying, you know what, we're not going to reimburse you or we're going to reimburse you less based on the outcome. So if you know, you're seeing a patient in the hospital and they're discharged and then readmitted within 30 days, clearly you didn't take great care of the patient. You know, so that reflects our, the quality of care we're providing. Instead, we've now shifted to this alternative payment model where you know, if we can demonstrate good outcomes, we get reimbursed at a higher rate. And I think a lot of times people hate putting a dollar value on healthcare, but you have to think of it as it is a business. There's a cost to it. And if we aren't mindful of the, the money we spend or the outcomes of our patients, our doors aren't going to be open to provide care for patients. Thinking about it in terms of kind of the business model is what will ensure that we are here and present to care for our patients. One of the examples of this new value or quality payment model is that's put out through Medicare and Medicaid is called MIPS. And it's a merit-based incentive program. And it does just that. It reimburses based on quality metrics. So it 
This model has been shifting over time, but now we're to the point where most of our payment model is tied to that quality or value of care. So when we look at basically patient care and outcomes, we have to think about more than just the condition. So we know that there are things such as outside factors that impact a patient's ability to achieve optimal health and well-being. Looking at this pyramid model, our highest risk patients, which account for about only 5% of our total population, actually end up accounting for about half of all healthcare costs. Those are the patients that really, when we look at managing burden of disease, improving quality outcomes, are our highest risk and highest cost group. The two groups of patients that experience kind of the problems in our health system more acutely um, than others are patients with complex care needs and those with low incomes. So when we look at this pyramid, we can see that we have kind of our healthy individuals sort of at the bottom layer, and they account for about 30% of our population. Our next group up is kind of our low risk population, and those are patients who are due for screening. So things like mammogram, colonoscopy, those types of things. The top two portions of this pyramid, I would say are probably the, the two where care coordination has the greatest opportunity to impact those individuals. Patients who are a rising risk account for 30% of that population in that triangle. And then the top, the highest risk patients are about 5% of the population. That top 5% accounts for nearly half of all of our healthcare costs. And if we just divide this triangle in half and look at rising and above, that accounts for about 97% of all of our healthcare costs as a nation. Why is that? Social determinants really impact our health outcomes. And when we think about social determinants, people aren't always really sure about what that is, but they are the things that all those sort of nuances that each person has. So whether it's their, their education, their job status, their family, social support, income, it could be their physical environment, as well as health behaviors such as tobacco use, diet, exercise, alcohol use. Um, so we call that kind of the social determinants of health, things that socially can impact our health outcomes. Those things actually account for about 80% of our overall well-being, where just purely focusing on the, the issue or the disease in and of itself accounts for about 20% of the health outcomes. So to put that in context, if we had a patient come into the clinic and they are a patient with diabetes, if we just focus on the treatment, on giving them the correct meds, drawing their labs, providing just education, it's only going to impact about 20% of their overall well-being and health. If we layer into that, there are um, other factors such as do they have insurance, can they afford their medications, what sort of support systems do they have at home, do they use tobacco. Um, if we focus our interventions on addressing those types of things, we have a greater impact on improving that patient's health. And those are the things that account for that other 80%. Just for an awareness, in the U.S. each year, we have about 1.4 million patients who are homeless. Another 3.6 million don't have access to medical care due to just purely lack of transportation. 42 million people face hunger, so not having access to food or access to healthy foods. 
when you think about food shelves and the food that's cheap, it's the canned meals, it's the processed foods. And those types of foods contribute to obesity, to a lot of those chronic illnesses. And then we hear a lot about like food insecurities, you know, whether it's some type of an emotional attachment to food or concept around it or just lack of access. There's about 12, little over 12% of um, households have some type of food insecurity. So imagine how those challenges can impact someone's health. Here it just kind of breaks down a little bit more to help people understand all the different kind of complex areas we need to think about when providing care for our patients or thinking about how do we develop that sort of custom care plan or that unique individualized plan to help that patient get to that optimal state of health. So if you're homeless, if you're living in an unsafe or unhealthy conditions or don't have you know, transportation to get to your appointments, it's gonna impact your health. Consider a recent study which found that children experiencing food insecurities may have two to four times more health problems than, children's, than children just with low income household, that come from a low income household. Adults who are food insecure are also at increased risk for developing those chronic conditions such as obesity, diabetes. These poor health outcomes contribute to an increased rate of readmissions, non-compliance, increased risk of medical costs, and other factors. So oftentimes I hear people say, well, I'm a nurse. That sounds very much like social work work. And, you know, why do we need to focus on, on that type of data? And it, if we go back to, you know, dear Florence, Florence Nightingale, the founder of, you know, modern nursing, her core concept was focusing on health promotion, disease prevention. She really pioneered data collection for classifying conditions and diseases. We can relate that stuff still pertains today to nursing, to, to care management, for how we can really improve our patient outcomes. And we can use that data to understand um, and help reduce mortality rates, infection. You know, back in the day, it was focused on sanitation and public health. Uh, today, we think about it in terms of population health, the health outcomes of a group or an individual, really looking at how do we make sure that, you know, across the distribution, across a group of patients, that they have equal access to healthcare, that they have access to healthy foods, that they can easily get to and from their appointments.